Hello there, how's it going? It's good to be back with you for Movie Magic. It's been a while. All right, is everybody set back there? I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm all set. How about the princess? I'm all set. I'm all set. Okay, here we go. Movie Magic with Tim Burton, the movie maestro. You've heard the clips on radio. Now the extended and fully expanded version. Could I be more dramatic? Yes. Okay, sometimes on radio you can't really put everything on. So this is the online podcast version you could call and this is the first of a three-part interview with Mike Mattesino. We were in London together recently celebrating the legacy of John Williams and specifically the collaboration with the London Symphony Orchestra, a collaboration that dates back to the 1970s. Over 40 years of terrific music. A lot of that was showcased at the Royal Albert Hall on the 26th of October. Sadly the maestro himself was unwell but Dirk Brosse, a friend and colleague, stood up, took to the podium, and really made magic. Uh, I don't know whose decision it was, but it was a stroke of genius that the musicians of the London Symphony Orchestra were actually providing the continuity and talking about the significance of John Williams to, to the orchestra and indeed to their professional lives, as well as Dirk Brosse himself citing some uh, personal recollections. But it was all about the music, and it really was a joy to hear some of that in such an iconic venue, a venue which Williams himself favours. He was there in 1978, his first concert with the LSO to an audience, which uh, was quite fitting. But anyway, look, this Mike Mattesino interview, which, as I said, is part one of three, focuses on Dracula, actually his fourth collaboration with the LSO after Star Wars, The Fury, Superman, Came Dracula. Tim Burton screen sounds on movie magic. You must have been very excited to actually tell John Williams himself that the, the fact that uh, one of the, something that he was obviously very fond of is finally unearthed. Yeah, what I did actually was uh, being a little bit dramatic. I just um, did an initial <laughs> mix of the main title and just uh, made a little sound file and emailed it to his assistant. And then just waited for the response, which was, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> I said, I found Dracula. Mike, it's good to be talking to you again, and... What a fantastic array of releases we have here. How are you? I'm doing just fine, thanks. And yourself? Uh, good, thank you very much. Good. And we've recently had a, an amazing experience in London, and I suppose it's appropriate that we, uh, we talk about some, some London-focused uh, recordings. Absolutely. So first and foremost, um, The Dracula is, is a title which, you know, I think it's safe to say many in the industry thought was, uh, was lost, and we weren't ever going to hear it, but... What a lovely surprise. <laughs> um, it was indeed very gratifying to finally get it out there, and I had to sort of keep the information to myself for quite a while. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, needless to say, it just was, it was a joyful thing to finally get done and get out there. 
but the, you know obviously there's a detailed uh, to, to some extent in the uh, fantastic um, booklet and liner notes of, of the of the set but to talk to us about the inception because it, it's, it's such a fascinating story which uh, it's similar to, to some other investigatory kind of uh, projects you've worked on in the past, isn't it? Yeah, well, with one important change, though, um, with Dracula, this was actually one where John Williams specifically requested uh, an effort to, if the sound quality could be improved and if we could find the material. And it's something that Varez Saraband had been looking into for quite a while, and really didn't come up with anything. So it was odd then for John to make this request and have to tell him that. But uh, fortunately, I was just getting into the position of um, having a formal relationship with Universal Studios in digging into their archives and um, putting together what is now the, um, the Universal Pictures Film Music Heritage Collection, yeah. um, which encompasses a lot of things that I'm doing internally of um you know investigating and uh, putting together inventories and so forth and just seeing what exists so um what happened was uh, as a result of digging a little bit deeper for dracula we did uncover a four track 35 millimeter um, magnetic tape with the score already assembled for the picture so it already had the edits um to conform to the film it didn't have the level dips that you would get in a final mix, but it was already pre-assembled. So this was what the music editor would have put together to bring to the mix for the film. And um, that was a great, great find, but it didn't tell me anything about portions of cues that might have been cut out and not used or cues that were entirely unused. I needed something else in order to confirm that, and I knew that maybe seven or eight years prior, um, Bob Townsend of Verez Saraband had pulled tapes and had said that they were monaural tapes. So I thought, well, let me at least find those. They were quarter inch. But when the studio went looking, they said, well, we don't see that, but we do see that there's a box of quarter inch tape that's checked out to undisclosed location. And they panicked. And I said, don't panic. I think I know what the undisclosed location is. I think it's Universal Mastering Services. Because I remembered back to that time when the tapes were called out. And I think I was working either on Family Plot or Midway, one of those Verez titles. And I remember that Dracula was there. It was with Eric Labson, the mastering engineer that Verez was using quite a bit at that time. And... Um, he was the one who reported to Bob Townsend that the tapes were mono. So I think I assumed that uh, they went back to the studio at that point and then only seven years later discovered that they didn't. So we checked with Universal Mastering Services and they said, uh, yes, they were here. But first of all, Eric Labson left and moved on to some other place. And um, then they said we had had a rainy rain you know about of rain in los angeles which is very rare but we had one rainy winter and um there was a leak in the roof and so there were boxes in the way and they saw where they belonged and sent them back to verez in the meantime verez saraband itself had moved from studio city to beverly hills and 
Um, so it took a couple of phone calls and some checking, and we eventually determined that the boxes were sitting in Verez's vault room in Beverly Hills at their new facility. And Bob Townsend was out of the country at the time doing one of his uh, concerts. And via email, he said, just, you know, call them and go over and you can look at them yourself. And so I did that. When I got there, they showed me the box. And indeed, there were three tapes marked mono. And after that were three tapes marked stereo. And I thought, okay, what happened here? It seemed that, uh, as near as I could tell, is that Eric had pulled one or possibly two of the mono ones, determined that they were all mono, and told Bob Townsend that, and they didn't investigate further, and then the tapes just sat there for seven years. So as soon as I found that out, that there were tapes in the box that said stereo, I took them immediately back to the studio and had them right away put up, and we found that indeed it was stereo. Then I called the music department and I said, can you give me authorization to transfer this right now because I think I just found the only remaining stereo copy of the Dracula scoring sessions on the planet. And they said, okay, and we transferred them that day. And uh, that's how we ended up with it. So um, finally, the release was put together by a combination of those two elements for the best sound quality. Um, and, uh, and at last, we had Dracula. But this is how, this is, this is the kind of strange thing that goes on that you just don't know where things are you sometimes assume there must be multiple copies of something um, and this was just um, an instance where we didn't have say two-inch multi-track masters or um, or anything larger because uh, this was done at Anvil Studios in Denham shortly before it was demolished and um, we've heard lots of reports about things that were recorded there uh, being thrown in the dumpster and long gone so it was um, a very strange situation where a very prominent John Williams score from the late 70s for a movie that we knew was in Dolby Stereo was you know had its music masters missing so um, you know but then then it's just this strange thing that nobody realizes they must have the only copy but I've dug pretty deep and uh, this is what we came up with and um, I'm pretty sure that we found all there was to find. And uh, thank God we now have, um, you know, Dracula fully assembled.
he must have been very excited to actually tell John Williams himself that the fact, the fact that uh, one of the, something that he was obviously very fond of is finally unearthed. Yeah, what I did actually was uh, being a little bit dramatic. I just um, <laughs> did an initial mix of the main title and just uh, made a little sound file and emailed it to his assistant. And then just waited for the response, which was, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> I said, I found Dracula. So, so that was that. And then we had, um, I did discover as a, after going through it and thoroughly comparing it to the original album, that the original album had a lot of different performances and different portions of takes were um, selected and some mixing decisions were a little bit different. Um, enough so that um, it didn't, seem possible to um, recreate the album using the newly found material. And I kind of thought that I, it, would be nice, it would be nice to include the original album program because it's been out of print for so long. Yeah, so that meant finding a different element. And um, uh, Universal Music Group, their inventory showed no elements whatsoever on Dracula in the United States, which is the same thing that happened when we went looking for E.T., so we've learned to have to check all territories. And just as we found the E.T. album master in the U.K., we also found the one for Dracula there. Um, Tommy Pearson actually did a little bit of investigative work um, on our behalf for this and uh, found that the tapes were um, at the DECA, um, DECA vault in the U.K. And um, so that's what we ended up using for disc two, which... Uh, was the original master used to make the UK pressings of the vinyl. So um, it's always been sort of a challenged album master, but I think we found um, something that's a little bit better than, to, than what's been out there previously. also a joy to hear uh, some you know the some of the music that was actually deleted from the film and some music was unused and obviously the the, the film versions of well a couple of cues isn't it there's night journeys and there's the main title and storm sequence is, is quite significantly different from the album version which I mean for me I, I loved hearing that um, right and in both of those I think you know the tracks on the original album were combinations Right, it was the original version of the main title that went into the full storm sequence, and um, right, yes. subsequently in the film, the main title portion itself was redone. So we actually opened the main score program with that, but it's the full cue. And um, and Night Journeys is an interesting thing where um, you know he wrote one whole cue and then did a revised version of the cue, and the film ended up using parts of both. 
and then cutting down shorter. So there was a case where I couldn't use the four track uh, mag element because it already had those edits in it. Same thing with the to Scarborough. You know, um, it actually was better sounding sound quality on the four track, but it was already cut short by maybe almost a minute. So unfortunately, that was a case where I couldn't use that, and I had to go for the quarter inch because there was no way to go back and forth from one to the other and plug the holes and have the sound quality be consistent. But there were other cases where I could do that more seamlessly. But uh, so it was a little bit of a patchwork, not the ideal way to work, but. Ultimately, the goal is to make sure that the uh, score is saved and that we have it and that everybody can enjoy it. Well, yes. And, you know, some of the, uh, you know, you talked about Discarbra. I love the fact that the organ so prominent toward the end. It's so striking. Yeah, it's great. Um, and I think it's like, uh, and then you, I'm not sure even where they recorded that. I don't know if Anvil had an organ. They might, they might they probably did. Um, but Or if it was overlaid later or if they brought in a little one of those little chamber organs. It might have been yes, something like that, because I'm not. I don't think Anvil had a, had an organ, but uh, it's uh, no, it's it's so effective. original release it's it's really quite significantly cleaned up isn't it yeah i mean i think the expectation is always that we want these 
London John Williams scores to all sound like Star Wars, which was really a lightning in a bottle recording. And somehow or other, a lot of things that came after that are a little bit challenged. And we don't quite know why, but Eric Tomlinson had his own unique way of working. And um, for whatever reason, sometimes the resulting mix on the tape elements seemed less than ideal or, you know, not quite as robust um, as we would like, and they need a little bit of help. So um, I'm just glad that we found something. And then once um, I put it through its paces and, uh, and cleaned it up and um, sort of just got it into uh, the sweet spot where it was um, pleasing to the ear, um, I was just happy to have it. Yeah, and it's just been. Um, I've I've done most of the stuff of John Williams from that period, and that was just a big gaping hole. Um, you know, having done um, all the scores from 1978 and also the 1941 from 1979. You know, so this, this was a big sort of gaping <laughs> hole in his discography that we didn't have Dracula. So I'm just so happy we finally do. Uh, it, it's it, no, totally. I totally agree. It's it's tremendous. And it's funny when you say that about 1941, and you know, there's a perfect example. It exemplifies how unique each of the orchestras in LA and then, you know, with the LSO, how unique their sound is. Because 1941, a wonderful album, um, beautifully recorded, you know, very uh, crisp. The playing is very different, not in a bad way, just, just you know, different. And then, you know, when you, when you marry that to the likes of uh, Dracula, it's just, uh, you know, we're going to hear... Femina now, uh, which is one of the best cues, I think, uh, and it showcases that amazing Morris Murphy sound and, you know, the Herbert Spencer orchestration. And one of my favorite moments as well is, and I'm sure you'd agree, is give me your loyalty the last few bars of that. It's just so wonderfully English and charming, isn't it? Yes. And of course, the Englishness of Dracula is, you know, one of the things that makes it very distinctive from 1941. And, and it just shows just how versatile Williams was and is still to this day of able to just find the right idiom for whatever the job happens to be. Even if he has to write source music, there's just in, inherently, he just possesses this ability to just find the right thing and know what the appropriate thing to do is for a given project.
So, I mean, th- this can't be played down. It's, it's a tremendous release, and I love how so much effort has been put into the, the packaging and the presentation. I mean, really, all the stops have been pulled out, haven't they? I mean, it's it's marvellous. And tell us tell us the backstory of all the wonderful artwork in the, in the graphics. It's, uh, it's tremendous. Well, we have the good fortune of... Um having Constantine Nazar, who's a um, special features and documentary producer, um, helping with us because he had put together this wonderful magazine special for Little Shop of Horrors magazine, shop with the English spelling, shoppy, um, <laughs> that was all about um, the 1979 Dracula with um, tons of context about the stage production and the earlier stage production that originated all of this in the 1920s and so forth, so on. So um, he had found just wealth of photos from Universal, also had been given things from John Badham. Um, and so it was lavishly illustrated and we had all that to work with. Um, and um, there were two images from the um, stage production that we then went to the Edward Gorey estate to uh, give us approval to use and include in the booklet as well. So um, so we were able to uh, just, uh, you, you know, have it, this lavishly illustrated um, presentation, which I hope has, to a degree, um, compensated for the fact that we've been lacking this score for so long. So now we've kind of tried to make up for it by doing something of uh, high quality, and Bob Townsend engaged um, Jim Titus to uh, put this together to, as the art director, and he, of course, had done uh, a lot of the Williams releases that have um, produced for La La Land. So um, he adapted himself to kind of Reza's in-house style very nicely, and uh, but was um, really blessed with the uh, this wealth of um, artistic content that he can include, and that's why we ended up with the sort of outer booklet um, as well as the traditional um, inserted booklet into the jewel case. So, yes. Yeah, no, no complaints there. So it was quite an uh, embarrassment of riches. Very much so. expect over the years uh, some very in-depth liner notes from your good self and Nocturne, John Williams and Dracula is no exception and it's it, interesting to you know to acknowledge the fact and I remember reading somewhere years ago about you know the, the connection that Williams had with uh, with Meteor um, but then you go into great detail here which is fascinating you know that whole era um, with the with the connection then in again with uh, with Superman and, and the LSO, and tell us about that briefly. 
Well, he was had been connected to Meteor uh, for quite a long time, um, from sometime in 77, and then there was actually a period of time where announcements um, of that and Dracula kind of overlapped each other, but it had gone so far as to, um, for even trade ads for Meteor with a credit billing block on it, actually sang music by John Williams. Um, and that went on for quite a while. And I think as, uh, as cool as it would have been for Williams to end the 1970s with a space disaster film directed by Ronald Neem, because he had started the decade with the Poseidon adventure, um, there were constant delays with the project, and um, he eventually became unavailable to do it, and um, or maybe just didn't want to sort of string his schedule along, just keeping it open. Um, because certainly after Star Wars, a lot of people came knocking on his door. And I think that he was actively looking for more opportunities to work in London and with the London Symphony Orchestra particularly, because he just had such a good time there. Um, had done Star Wars, then came back and did the um, album recording of The Fury on the same trip when he did his first concert with the LSO at, at Royal Albert. And um, then began Superman, which took a couple of trips over. Um, uh, a lot of that recording in the summer and then resuming in the fall. Um, and it was towards the end of that where uh, John Badham came to the scoring sessions to speak with Richard Donner about working with the cinematographer Gil Taylor, who had shot The Omen, um, and coincidentally Star Wars. Um, because they had started shooting Dracula in Cornwall with one cinematographer, and it wasn't working out, and Badham wanted to replace him, and then wanted to consult Donner about Gil Taylor. Gil Taylor was hired. And um, it was probably at that time that um, Badham spoke to Williams about doing Dracula, and, um, and he signed for it because it was another opportunity to come back in the spring of 1979 and record with the LSO again. So, um, so, and then uh, Meteor went to um, uh, Lawrence Rosenthal and Herbie Spencer, the orchestrator, went along with, her, with him to do that uh, project. And that actually is a really terrific score. Um, but the movie didn't come out till after Dracula, I think, not till the fall of 79. Right, yes.
just shy of its 40th anniversary. So it's uh, it's it's a lovely it's a lovely way to kind of round off 2018 with uh, this glorious deluxe edition, which is like a, a proper deluxe edition, not a naff one. <laughs> to use an English word. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what we're going to do is uh, hear a little bit of uh, an an unreleased cue, Mike. So do you want to introduce a little bit? We'll play a bit of Into the Crypt. And do you want to set this up before we play it? Yeah, I, I love that cue. Um, of course, it starts off with a motif for Van Helsing's investigation of Dracula that was not heard at all on the original album, uh, giving the impression that it's a monothematic score. And by and large, it is. It's really the, you know, um, in, in contrast to something like Star Wars or Superman, where there's uh, six or seven motifs and themes that uh, are very, very distinctive. And um, Dracula basically has that, uh, um, the one principal theme, but there is this secondary theme for Von Helsing, which comes up in a few cues and uh, Into the Crypt begins with that. And then you get this, uh, you know, this, this, this kind of this air of mystery and creepiness that John Williams does so well. Um, bit of a precursor maybe even to some of um, his work on the Harry Potter scores years later. But, uh, you know, he wasn't given the opportunity to do that too much in scores like Star Wars or Superman or um, um, E.T. But, you know, every so often they'll be going through a cave in Raiders of the Lost Ark or um, some mysterious parts and close encounters where he can go there. But Dracula is the one time where he could just sort of go all out and, uh, and, and be, uh, you know, really uh, creepy and mysterioso. And this is a great cue that illustrates that.
Thanks to Mike Mattesino. Coming up in part two, more fantastic London-based recordings featuring John Williams. I look forward to your company very soon. All the best. Movie Magic with Tim Burton, the movie maestro. 